episode. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Turning into gods. That was the title of Jason Silva's documentary in 2012. The year before, he noted in an interview with Forbes magazine, America's foremost business magazine, that, and I give you a quote, we are the species that transcends our limitations. And so with turning into gods, I want to ignite a new conversation about who and what we are about to face. Exponential change. He made clear the mind-heart motivational connection, revealing what otherwise to most might be a mystery, he said, we want to transcend our biological limitations. Really? Transcend our biological limitations? Well, maybe that's the reason why we call it scientific salvation. Can science save us? Well, Today on Viewcoin, we're going to take a look at this. We're going to take a role, look at the role between science and God. And I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing convic- uh, conviction, talk that transforms. We're living at a very fascinating time, as you know. The New Testament scriptures declare of Jesus as a Messiah that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet now... It seems, well, many are saying that the living word actually now is the world of science and humankind transcending our limitations. So what should we understand about this phrase, transcending biological limitations? That's what we want to explore here today on Viewpoint in many other ways because we have a very special guest joining us, possibly even two, if we can make it happen. And we're going to be talking about this subject. But before we get there, I want to remind you about the cover story of Time Magazine, February 21st, 2011. Are you ready for this? 2045, the year man becomes immortal. That was the cover story. And just in case you might breathe a sigh of relief that such a momentous event lies seemingly far off. You might want to consider the claim of Werner Vinge concerning the consummate event known as the singularity, which he exalts will revelations the world, ushering in a post-human epoch. That's right, direct quote. When asked in 1993, the very year we formed Save America Ministries here, as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation, here's what he said. The coming singularity, technological singularity, I said I'd be surprised if the singularity doesn't happen by 2030. Really? For those interested in the significance of the year 2030, consider that's the year the World Economic Forum has decreed the consummate, a consummation of the Great Reset, the formation of the New World Order, which former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry declared it was ushered in by the inauguration of Joseph Biden as president. And perhaps we might also want to take note that the United Nations is established for fulfillment of its One World Order Globalist Agenda, Agenda 2030. 
How far is that away, my friends? Well, six and a half, seven years. Fascinating number, isn't it? It tells you what time we're in. And so we have what seems to be a massive collision between the world of science and the world of the creator, of the capability of all science, God himself. Our special guest today here on Viewpoint is a longtime friend of mine. And when I say longtime friend, I'm talking about we're, we're nearing the approach of Ancient of Days. Sixty-six years I have known this gentleman. I knew him in junior high school. And uh, we fraternized together for two years there in Fresno, California. And I, res- I, I, I determined by observation from my fellowship with this gentleman that he was perhaps the only true genius I have ever known. I've known a lot of very smart people. Been around a lot of very, very smart and intelligent people. But this gentleman just stood out to me. His name is Vern Poitras. Vern Poitras, he's joining us here today on Viewpoint Live. And here is a little bit about him. I don't normally go into people's bios this extensively, but here we go. He earned a B.S. in mathematics from California Institute of Technology in 1966. And I think he actually tested out of the first four or five math courses. That's my friend Vern Poitras. That's in Caltech. A Ph.D. in mathematics from Harvard University, studied linguistics and Bible translation uh, at the University of Oklahoma, and uh, enrolled at Westminster Theological Seminary, where he got a Master's in Divinity, then a T.H., that's Theological Master's in Apologetics, received a Master's in Literature and New Testament from University of Cambridge, and a Th.D., Doctor of Theology and New Testament University there in South Africa. He taught linguistics. He's taught New Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary since 1976, and he refuses to give up. And so he's joining me here on Viewpoint today, Vern Poitras. Vern, it's good to have you on the program. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a long journey, hasn't it been? Yes, yes. Can, you, you go back to junior high school. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And uh, I tell you, uh, those two years, and especially the eighth grade in 1957, uh, that was the Sputnik era, wasn't it? Yes, I almost forgotten, but you're right. And uh, the reality is that uh, you were heavily involved in mathematics. It was just kind of like your second or first language, wasn't it? Well, I did love it, and I was good at it. You're right. Yeah, you were good at it. Are you still good at it? That's my question. <laughs> well, I hope so. But, okay. it, but it's been it's taken second string to my uh, work in New Testament and theology. Well, I understand that because uh, you and I, you know, we we kind of fraternized together in that Sputnik era, and uh, we had uh, friends that joined us together uh, that were in the world of math and science and so on, and, and they still are. But you and I left that world uh, in significant ways and have pursued the kingdom of God in uh, serious uh, ways. And now you're involved in an upcoming event called the Miracle of Man, uh, set to take place at the end of September. And we want to learn a little bit about that because I think uh, our listeners may be interested in that. Is it still possible for people to sign up for that? Oh, yes. 
Uh, in fact, until the end of August, you can get early bird pricing. The end of August. So you don't have to get in by August 25th. You can get in by August 31st. Yes. Okay. Well, that sounds good. The conference itself is September 29th and 30th. Right, right. Okay. So what does that have to do with? Tell us just real quickly before we go into this break. Well, it's because there's a lot of confusion about who we are. What does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. And so we've got experts with scientific credentials from Discovery Institute and people, I'm one of the speakers, people with Bible and theology credentials who are going to address uh, the issue of what does it mean to be human and issues of sexuality, issues of how to teach STEM from a Christian point of view, issues of the future. Sounds fascinating. We'll be right back after this break. Fred first point is our special guest today. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. You know, it's a special privilege, friends, when you realize that you have uh, someone that God put you in touch with early on in your life, in the early stages and developmental stages of your life, that uh, God can use in a way to bring his kingdom together in in an unusual fashion, uh, unusual expressions from coast to coast, and that's the situation with my friend Vern Poitras. And uh, we would have many things that we could share together, memories we could share together concerning our experiences there in Fresno, California at Wawona Junior High School. It was the year that uh, that junior high school opened up. It was also the year, Vern, that uh, they decided to start uh, the teaching of algebra in the eighth grade. And as a result of that experience there, believe it or not, uh, when I graduated from college the year after you did, uh, I ended up actually starting another new program at another junior high school teaching algebra in the eighth grade. So, (laughs) you know, history comes around, it goes around, and here you are, Involved, having been teaching there since what 1976, there at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, what what is Westminster anyway? I've heard of Westminster Chimes, uh, but what are West? What's Westminster Theological Seminary? Well, it's named after the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was the 17th century expression of the summarizing the content of the Bible. Sounds very Scottish. Yeah. Well, it was both Scottish and and, uh, English. They were both involved. And it's outside Philadelphia? Uh, Yes, the seminary is located in suburban Philadelphia. Years ago, I was reading in World Magazine concerning a a big to-do that was going on concerning the Bible concerning the authority of scriptures, and concerning the efforts to de-genderize the Bible. 
And as I was reading the World Magazine article, I came across a very interesting name. It happened to be yours. And uh, so I made an effort to try to track you down, and you actually came on this program years ago to talk about the effort to degenderize the Bible. Well, why would you be called upon as an expert to talk about degenderizing the Bible? That is fascinating, since you were Mr. Science and Mathematics so many years ago. What changed? Well, as you mentioned, I, I studied linguistics and Bible translation theory uh-huh. at the Summer Institute of Linguistics at the uh, University of Oklahoma. So that was one qualification. And then just having seminary training, I knew uh, Greek and Hebrew, the original languages mm-hmm. uh, of the Bible. So I, with a number of other people, were involved in that controversy, but it was also because of a personal friendship with Wayne Grudem, who had played a prominent role, and he he was more of a mover and shaker than I was, but but he persuaded me to participate as well. Well, obviously, he had a tremendous respect uh, for your background and uh, uh, expertise with regard to Greek and Hebrew and the Bible and its authority and so on. But I understand you also were a member of the Translation Oversight Committee for the English Standard Version, ESV. Yes, that was partly his doing, too. As he, was, he was involved from an earlier point than I was. But um, I, w- I became a, um, one member of the kind of central committee. It was called the... Uh, Translation Oversight Committee for uh-huh. the English Standard Version. So we worked through, it was a massive thing, we worked through suggestions and uh, proposed changes mm-hmm. that came in from a large number of people, but the committee, the Central Committee, did the final processing. A number of years ago, my wife and I, uh, Kathy and I, Vern, were on our way back from Florida, and uh, we saw a sign that talked about the headquarters for uh, Bible translation uh, group, major Bible translation group. So uh, we took the sideline road and went there. And as we went there, uh, they told us that we were about 25 years away at that time from translating the Bible into every single known language and dialect, whatever it was. They said the reason we have been able to advance so quickly is because of the advance of computer strength. Well, that was about 15 years ago. I suspect that they are very, very close now. And what do you think is the significance of that? Since the scripture says that uh, uh, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world and then the end shall come. Yeah, that verse is a very important verse. Uh, And... It does involve the the uh, message of salvation going out to minority languages as well as the more well-known languages. I don't know the details of God's plan there, except that I know he wants to gather people from all nations. Well, but, of course uh, he I'll... does, and look at the timing. I mean, you just heard me read directly from my book, Messiah, uh, the latest book... Uh 
uh, and the chapter there called Scientific Salvation, Man Becoming God, looking at 2030 as the... uh, uh, the time when the great singularity comes in, which they br- basically see as the technological ascension of man to godhood. So uh, we're looking at at a time frame here that uh, is fascinating at best, isn't it? It is, although I discount some of those utopian dreams. <laughs> uh, You're kidding. But, <laughs> but, but, but I, I don't... I understand a bit of the motivation. If you don't believe that there is a God, and if you don't believe that he saved us through Christ, then it's very, it's very attractive to try to bring, to, to invent your own salvation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that is the trajectory of humankind. Uh, it's the spirit of the uh, Tower of Babel right there out of Genesis 11 that's exploding right before our faces, even as... Uh, uh Amazon is in the process of building its headquarters there in Arlington, Virginia, in the form of the Tower of Babel. Were you aware of that? No, I was not. Oh, it's fascinating. The pictures are amazing. The renderings are amazing. So the spirit of the age is what we're talking about here. And now, Vern, you're involved in this conference on science and faith at the end of September, uh, what should people expect there? Why is that important? Well, they should expect to to get uh, answers both from a scientific point of view uh, and from a Bible and theology point of view of who we are and and why we're different, right? Because the, the major materialistic view is you just came out of the goo by gradual means, and, mm-hmm. and we're not distinctive. Well, what do you but think is the scientific possibility or probability that such a thing could possibly have taken place? That we just silently emerged out of some goo? Where did the goo come from? Well, that's part of the problem. But I I want to assure you know, your listeners that uh, these people are experts. They're not going to take cheap shots. Mm-hmm. And uh, but rather to uh, present evidence that's often not heard because uh, the mainstream is just uh, putting out uh, stories about uh, 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 gradualistic explanations, mm-hmm. even when they're not really solid. Well, science uh, science is a wonderful thing. I fell in love with science back in junior high school in my fraternization with you and our friend Bobby Harwell and so on. And uh, then you begin to realize that science is actually a system or process of trying to arrive at truths, but now it's become the final arbiter of truth in people's minds. Yes, and people often don't realize that scientists are people. Really? People, they are influenced. You mean that scientists have emotions and ulterior motives and uh, could be motivated by greed in getting their uh, uh, grants and so on from various sources and pander to the expectations of those who hire them? Yes, that can happen, unfortunately. 
But, but in addition to that, if you assume that there is no God, mm-hmm. or that, that God doesn't, uh, isn't involved in the process of, of life, then there's really no alternative to this gradualistic picture that we're being sold. Mm-hmm. No matter how implausible, no matter how unlikely, it must have been the case, uh, because it's the only kind of uh, story that, that makes any sense if there is no God. If there is a God, on the other hand, then he can do what he wants. Because he's God. Yeah. And I'm not. Okay. About 20-some years ago, uh, I was in a pattern of flying back and forth across the country for a period of time, and I got delayed in the L.A. International Airport for Delta there and uh, was sitting in their waiting room, and across from me was a gentleman who identified himself as an international engineer from the Sony Corporation. So we were having a fascinating conversation. And of course, I, I love to uh, ask a lot of questions. I was a trial lawyer, and so I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> and uh, uh, he began to tell me about the wonders of technology. One of the things he said was, uh, it won't be very long before we will not have telephone instruments as we know it, because they will all be implants. Well, now you can kind of understand how maybe that could happen. On the other hand, without stopping a beat, Vern, here's what he said. And the day is coming when we will be gone. Oh, boy. That was about 25 years ago. The day is coming when we will be gone. Now that puts these words concerning the singularity and the timing and so on, puts it in a little different light, doesn't it? Yes, although I must say, I'm not surprised, again, because people want to hope, have hope, and if they don't hope in God, then they invent alternatives. Did you find that spirit uh, at Caltech there in California uh, back in uh, the 1960s when you were there? Yeah. I, I did, to be frank, I didn't so much. I think people were secular. Mm-hmm. But they were just, they were young, right, the other right. students with me. And they're just fascinated by the wonders of science and technology and wanted to explore and and uh, see the beauties of the world in that way. And, you know, I can identify with that, although to me it was seeing the beauty of the way God is governing things. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh I have stories that uh, I don't have time to tell concerning those who fraternize with you there at Caltech. Uh, Very interesting stories that, uh, you know, kind of endeared you even the more so to my own heart as a friend going back into uh, our age 12 and 13 experience there in junior high school. But who would have ever believed that God would have moved upon your mind and heart Given your orientation then, God would have moved upon my mind and heart, giving my orientation then, to do what we do with regard to the kingdom of God. Does that seem amazing to you? Well, it's more amazing to people outside, because it happened gradually to me. Uh-huh. It sort of came upon me before I knew it. So to speak. <laughs> okay. It came on like little cat feet, uh, like... like uh, 
the fog coming on like little cat feet slowly and then all of a sudden overwhelm you. Yes. Okay. So we're looking at this particular event coming up in uh, the end of September. And uh, what's the actual title of it? It's called The Miracle of Man. And I think that captures it to some extent because, uh, you know, the, the ordinary account of the mainstream of culture is saying there's no miracle, it just happened. But there's so many things, both about human body and the human mind mm-hmm. and our ability to, to think about a, a future, even if we're making it up out of our minds. There are so many abilities like that that are unique to human beings. Uh, But we want to make that available to our listeners. Yeah, exactly. We want to make that available to our listeners here to sign up for that, to register. We're going to talk about how to do that when we get back. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Today we're looking at the uh, interrelationship between science and uh, the kingdom of God, and it all goes back to the Creator. It all goes back to the Creator. Now, interestingly, the famous scientist Richard Levantin there from Harvard once said, we cannot allow evolution. We cannot speak about evolution as, well, we can't even speak about creation, he said, because the reality is we can't allow a divine foot in the door. That's exactly what he said. A scientist said we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Why is that? Because he couldn't measure the divine foot. Scientists have to be able to measure things, friends, and they can't duplicate the divine foot. So they can't talk about the divine foot, therefore, They have eliminated God from existence, from human existence, and substituted it with man's ever-vacillating pride and knowledge. Science is good if it is under God and in the fear of God. If it's not, like anything else, it becomes wicked. And so today on Viewpoint, we're talking with our special friend, Vern Poitras, taking us back 66 years in our experience together. 
and uh, seeing what God has done, weaving it all together through our lives, and now as an expression not only of what we're doing right here on the air today, but what is about to take place at the end of September there outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Westminster Conference on Science and Faith called the Miracle of Man. Vern, how do people sign up for this? Um, they go to discovery.org mm-hmm. and then click on events. That's the easiest way. Discovery.org and click on events. The other thing to say is it's offered both in person in the Philadelphia area mm-hmm. and online, live streamed. Really? So, so people all over the world, as well as the U.S., can participate if they want. So this is a big deal. Yes, I think so. It's a big deal. You're devoting a lot of time and energy to it. I know I uh, called your your home, talked to your wife yesterday a bit, and she said you were on a Zoom call for over an hour trying to work on setting a lot of these things up. Uh, there, are, How many people are involved, uh, experts are involved in uh, teaching and speaking on this subject? We have about 13 speakers. Wow. Uh, and nine from Discovery Institute on the science side, and uh-huh. four of us from Westminster Seminary with Bible and theology. Does this have anything to do or connection with the uh, Heritage Foundation? No. No. Okay. So it's discovery.org, and uh, then go to events. That's right. And the dates are September 29th and 30th. And what's the what's the cost? Do you know? the The top cost is ninety five dollars if there's no reduction. But right now there's an early bird price, and uh-huh. there's a student price, uh, and there's a group price. Wow! So, so you really have to go to the site and see. Um, because I think the student price is something like $25. Okay, well, that's very reasonable. Yeah. Now, if you want, if you're not going to go to the physical site there in Philadelphia, uh, and you're going to do it by streaming, what's the price? Same thing? Same thing, yeah. Same thing, okay. But again, student price, group price, if people want to watch it together. Ah, okay. So this really is a big deal that you're putting together. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, you know, we hope that we, because I'm convinced th- this is good content uh-huh. and, and re- very relevant to our confused times. I'm hoping we get a, a whole lot of people online as well as in person. Well, Vern, if you're involved in it, I know it's going to be good content. And then I understand, I understand that your son, Ransom, is going to be part of this, and uh, he was supposed to be online with us, and somehow we were not able to uh, connect with the two of you at one time. Uh, but uh, he's up there in New York, and uh, he tells me he's a uh, uh, biology professor at Houghton University, and he's going to be speaking on at least two subjects there, Christian and STEM something. Uh, that, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, he's going to talk about what it means to be a Christian and to teach in a STEM area. Mm-mm-mm. How do you do that in a specifically Christian way? Now, he also, like you, went to Caltech, right? That's right. He was an undergraduate there. Did, did he test out of his first four, four or five math courses like you did? <laughs> oh, I'm afraid not. But, <laughs> but, but it, was, 
it was a good experience for him because he was able, it's a small institution, he was able to get involved in a research lab uh-huh. as an undergraduate. Well, you know what I understand from your time there, even though you were at the top of the heap in terms of your proficiency and uh, uh, amazing intellect with regard to mathematics, that your heart was actually with people. And you actually went about and you were like a, a, a counselor uh, for many of the students there. And I have a, a story from one of them. I'm not going to share it here with you but uh, because we just don't have time. But it was a, a fascinating story uh, how you were ministering to him and encouraging him when uh, he didn't have quite the... Uh, uh, the intellectual superiority that you had, and he was struggling with a math problem. Well, I will say this. He said, I had this visit from Vern Foythris into my room, and uh, he was just chatting with me about my life and about my circumstances, and I was telling him about this horrific math problem, and I could not deal with it, couldn't deal with it at all. And so we talked for 20, 30 minutes, and when he left, he said, the answer to your problem is this. <laughs> In other words, while you were talking, it solved the whole problem in your mind. Uh, that's one of the stories that I heard. And, uh, Vern, i got to tell you, uh, some people have thought that I was pretty smart, but I feel pretty dumb when I'm uh, around you. always did. But uh, I appreciated you as a person, and you're concerned about people. And for that reason, all of this expertise, all of this history, coming together with this conference now, Uh, called The Miracle of Man. Tell us a little bit more about your son, Ransom. Well, I'm not sure what to to say, except you said a lot of it. He he studied here at Westminster Seminary after his undergraduate work. Really? So he followed in his father's footsteps again. So so he had developed uh, a lot of understanding of apologetics. Uh-huh. He's used that as well as his knowledge of biology uh, at, in teaching at Houghton Christian College. Mm-hmm. So now, that's been fulfilling to me to see how his unique gifts have been used by the Lord. Absolutely. And I, I have a question for you. I've always wondered why Christians have to be apologizing all the time. Yeah, right. What's this apologetics business? I I, I thought we were supposed to present the truth out there and start apologizing for it. Yeah, I'm laughing a little, because that is a common misunderstanding. (laughs) You could wish that the the discipline had another label other than apologetics. Well, maybe that's your next linguistic uh, challenge. Yes, right. (laughs) But the, the Greek word apologao means to give a defense. Oh, okay. So it doesn't mean apologizing. All right. So we need to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. That's right. There you go. So First Peter 3. Okay. Now, uh, friends, before we go further, I want to make available to you something that I think will be very helpful to you. I'm going to talk about, uh, just for a moment, my latest book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, because in that book is a chapter called The Scientific Salvation. You will probably find the book worth the price just to read that chapter. It is going to inform you of something so, things so astounding that human beings in the name of science are seeking to do to elevate themselves 
to ultimate godhood. Now, you may think, well, that, that's just crazy. That's just, No, you have to understand. You have to read. You have to understand what they're actually saying. Their goal is to ascend the human race. I'm looking at it right now. Their goal is to ascend or supersede the human race. That means to be God, like God. Isn't that exactly what Satan said that he was going to do? I will ascend to the heights of the north. I will be like the most high God. Now, whether you want to call it transhumanism, doesn't matter. I will ascend to the heights of the north. I will be like the most high God. What we're talking about, friends, is the world of science either being used in submission to the God who created the opportunity for science to exist in the first place, or to claim that man now is ultimately God through science. The book... Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. You see, there are competing messiahs out there, and human beings are actually competing with Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, competing with him to become their own Savior and the Savior of the world. The greater yeah, scientific I- God is now the creation of immortality. Yes, for yeah, if I could comment, yeah. I think many people don't realize that it, underlying this is a re- religious impulse. Exactly. That, that people think of, oh, you're only religious if you're you're worshiping something outside yourself. But mm-hmm. the last thing back is often the, the worship of yourself. <laughs> it, it's still worship. And I think of, and I know you're thinking of Genesis uh, three, where Satan says to Adam and Eve, "You will be like God." Exactly, and and so that's the original temptation to take the place of God, and it's it's innate in in the, the nature of sinful impulses of humanity to try to move in that direction, and that's where we are, and that tells us, it seems to me, Vern, what time it is right now. It tells us we're on the mere edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And people need to get ready. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? We'll be right back after this, friends. Get a copy of the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. $22 on our website, saveus.org. Call us on 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back. 
Perspective Viewpoint. Our special guest today, Vern Poitras, and uh, he is joining us from Westminster Theological Seminary in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he has a son. In fact, he has two sons, Ransom and Justin. And uh, Ransom was to have joined us. In fact, I think he's trying to join us right now. So, Vern, I'm going to actually uh, say goodbye to you and connect in with Ransom. Could we do that? Yes, okay. All right, brother. Thank you so much. God bless. Okay, bye. Bye. Ransom? Yes, hi. Oh, what perfect timing. What perfect timing. I have listening online, so. Oh, okay. Well, I have dismissed your father, uh, if if it's possible to dismiss Vern Poitras. (laughs) And uh, you're joining us now from uh, New York. Where in New York? It's uh, in the town of Houghton. It's uh, Mm -hmm. western western New York. It's about 70 miles south of Buffalo. Oh, okay. And uh, you, uh, your your father has two sons, you and Justin. Tell us about Justin. Are you the older, the younger? What are you? I'm I'm the older by uh, two and a half years. Uh Uh-huh. And Justin's probably my, my dearest friend in the world, and he's uh, currently a uh, senior pastor at a, a church in uh, uh, Boise, Idaho area. Well, isn't that wonderful? So yes. your, your, father, uh, your father's influence and uh, commitment to Christ and uh, all of you to the kingdom of God has just uh, come together in a beautiful way. Yeah, we have much to be thankful for to the Lord. Ransom, do you have any kids? Yes, I have three wonderful little kids. Um, Revere is our oldest. Uh, uh-huh. His name four. His name isn't Paul Revere, is it? No, we we um, my wife and I wanted to name our kids with a biblical kind of exceptional names. Uh-huh. So okay. it's Revere after the uh, idea of revering the Lord and oh, giving you proper okay. reverence. Uh-huh. And then we have Everson. Uh, and the hope that he'll be uh, an everlasting son of God. Uh, he's uh, three. And then our youngest is Jubilee, um, after the, the year of Jubilee, right. and the, the hope of rest, and she's one. Well, now, let me just tell you that you have challenges on your plate, <laughs> and they're just starting. I, I wasn't, what, couldn't have possibly guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> And then when they get into junior high school, like where the time when I met your dad, uh, your challenges will multiply. And then yeah, they get into high school, and they're going to multiply again. And then they're going to go into college if the Lord tarries that long, and they're going to multiply again. And always a parent, once a parent, always a parent. Do you know that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Just and wanted I've... to let you know what's ahead. Looking, looking forward to the challenges and God's provision in those challenges. Well, it sounds to me like you're up for the challenge, too. And so uh, we had a fascinating conversation with your dad, uh, Vern. Mm-hmm. And here you are. You're a biology professor. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And so what caused you to gravitate toward biology having graduated from Caltech? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I different people that 
their interests strike them at different times in life. But I've always been sort of drawn to biology from a very early age. Uh, I used to, mm-hmm. we had these large window frame pictures in our uh, living room, and I used to watch the, the birds in our bird feeder mm-hmm. uh, and loved flipping through books on mammals and zoology and um, enjoyed the subject very much in high school as well. And uh, uh, ended up going going to Caltech, as, as you mentioned, and uh, not quite, quite as gifted, not even close in math as my, my father was, but mm-hmm. did a biology major at, at Caltech. Did you? Enjoyed, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're... Many people know of them for their their physics and engineering, sure. um, but they have excellent uh, biology department as as well. Lots of research opportunities, which I was able to avail myself of, and uh, uh, yeah, learned learned a lot about researching and critical thinking and uh, that process. Well, the world of biology uh, is under assault, just like every other area, uh, and uh, you know Francis Collins. Uh, talked about the human genome, and that was the greatest uh, uh, event in the history of mankind, decoding the human genome at the outset of the sixth millennium. And uh, then uh, they actually call that, that that's the uh, ID of God, the DNA of God. Yeah, he's got that famous, uh, yeah, the main mention Francis Collins is the uh, head of the NIH. He's got the famous book he's written called The Language of God, mm-hmm. uh, which, and I actually, this this conference that we're, we're speaking at has been going on for several years, different topics each year, mm-hmm. and there was one year where I, I actually gave a talk on, on DNA um, as a four-dimensional language that far surpasses and exceeds the complexity of any known human language uh, amazing. out there. It's, it, is, it is really and truly amazing, and I think we're really just scratching the surface in terms of the complexity of, of DNA and what it encodes. Uh, Bill Gates once said that DNA is like, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but DNA is like computer code, but just far, far more complicated. It's, it's really incredible. In 2001, uh, Kenneth Woodward, uh, the uh, journalist, set the stage for Newsweek, and he, he, he wrote an article called A Question of Life or Death. And he concluded, here, here's his language, we stand at the edge of a new world where human beings can virtually reinvent themselves. In other words, we can create just like God, and we can become God. That was the implication of it, and that was in 2001, and look where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. So you're involved in uh, speaking at a couple of uh, these featured events for this conference coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us what you're going to be speaking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited because I get to speak on two topics that are very close to my heart, which I'm very passionate about. One is is a kind of introductory concepts on uh, apologetics you mm-hmm. talked about. Apologetics is not necessarily the intuitive <laughs> name for the the discipline, uh-huh. um, but just this concept for for Christians in a in a particularly uh, aggressive and opposing world. How how do we how do we defend ourselves? How do we how do we talk to people who are not Christians and 
and interact with them. And so I'll be presenting some basic concepts on that, building on some, some work of some excellent people at Westminster where I, I did a lot of my, my training in that. So Scott Oliphant and Bill Edgar and, of course, uh, uh, Van Til. And then the, the second thing, which uh, is it's uh, a Christian approach to teaching and learning STEM. So the STEM disciplines would be science, technology, engineering, and, and math. Uh-huh. Well, when uh, I think of but, STEMs, I think of plants. I think of the STEMs, you know, the God causes the water to be sucked up like a straw into the leaves and so on. Uh, so what are you talking about, STEM? Yeah, it's uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. It's an acronym oh, for those, those things. Science, yeah. technology, engineering, and math. Yes. Well, that sounds like the merger of all things uh, science. You didn't get biology in there, but science, yeah. uh, you, you did with science. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a field that is very tends tends to be very fact heavy, mm-hmm. and so um, I. I think people sometimes struggle to think about well how how can we teach this or or learn this in an uh, explicitly Christian way and part of the argument that I'll be trying to present is essentially that I think a a fully Christian way is the best and only real way to to present these things that that actually academically exceeds uh, and surpasses anything you would find at a secular university I think a a Christian science education is better than even what what Harvard can offer or something like that. And so it's part of the argument that I'm trying to make, but also trying I'm going to be trying to show people how that can be done um, and what that actually looks like in, in, a, in a classroom setting of how do we take something that's very fact-based or seemingly very fact-based and, and yet um, find ways to glorify God and to get to know Him better and what He has made and uh, and in His creation because He is there. He is clearly there, as it says in Romans one, clearly perceived in the things that He's made. Well, that's so. what the Apostle Paul said. He said, "With we are without excuse, actually, exactly. just if you look at nature itself." And I can understand that. The problem is we just really don't do much looking at nature. We take it for granted. And uh, the more we do look and we see the unbelievable intricacies of every aspect of creation, at least what we can see, uh, it's beyond comprehension that this could self-conceive itself. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're fallen, too. We need, and we need the redemption of Christ. We need uh, the Holy Spirit. We need the grace. Even, even if you graduated from Caltech. I'm, Maybe especially if you graduated from Caltech. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we're idol makers. We constantly conjure idols, whether that be making, you know, you've talked earlier on this program, making science itself an idol or making mm-hmm. nature an idol uh, in terms of pantheism or trying to make humans, uh, science, the scientific humans, into idols through this kind of transhumanism thing. We've been doing this as you were um, intimating at the very end of the last section, since Adam and Eve, right? It's finding anything and everything other than God to worship, uh, and so it's through it's through changed hearts by the Holy Spirit's work that we can begin to see truly. But <clears throat> we're always looking for some other authority other than God. Isn't that um, amazing? Just yeah. amazing. No wonder God says He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
You know, we, we <laughs> desperately need God to, to show us these things. But once we see them, mm-hmm. right, once we, can, we start seeing these things through the proper, through, I would say, the proper and truthful worldview, through the lens of Christianity, it opens up whole new vistas of beauty and ingenuity and design and glory and splendor that point to and uh, uh, yeah, glorify our, our, our Creator God in, in ways that we're just beginning to uncover and unravel. Uh, it's really amazing. Well, Ransom, I appreciate uh, you uh, and your father and what you're doing there. I have not met you. I have not met your brother, but uh, I can tell that uh, God has really invested uh, a, a portion of his plan and purpose in your lives for such a time as this. And with regard to this conference coming up, the Westminster Conference on Science and Faith uh, goes by the name The Miracle of Man, and it is a miracle, a total miracle. I mean, they say just just looking at the human eyeball itself, mm-hmm. it's, it's beyond comprehension how such a thing uh, could be and what it does and so on, the human brain, uh, uh the ear, all of these various things, you start to pick them apart, and you realize this is beyond beyond. Only yeah, only a god, only someone with immense intellect, ability, vision, whatever would constitute God could possibly bring such a thing about. Yeah, amen. There's actually a talk at the conference specifically on the, the fine-tuning of the optics of the eye by a really? uh, physicist, Brian Miller. Uh, and then they'll be talking about some other specific aspects of the body and how, how remarkable they are. And the more we're finding out, uh, the more remarkable they become, it seems, in terms of the degree of, of, uh, yeah, miraculous nature, yeah. as it were. Well, so. here's the situation, friends. If you want to be a participant in this conference, which you can do, uh, that's one of the reasons we brought this on here today, uh, you can go to the website discovery.org, discovery.org, and then you click on events, and you can sign up for this. If you sign up before the end of August, you're going to get uh, special pricing. It's not all that expensive anyway, but you'll get special pricing. You can either go in person or you can do it uh, streaming. What an opportunity that is. The conference is September 29th to 30th on Science and Faith. And uh, so make sure you take advantage of that. Get a copy of the book, Messiah Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, for the chapter alone, The Scientific Salvation, right there on our website, saveus.org. God bless. Be a blessing and pray for this conference. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.